Amen. Well, as you probably saw, I was able to kind of parade my, my little one around today as it's the first day for my wife and, uh, and Everett to be a part of the congregation and enjoying uh, this season now of us being able to have this new addition uh, both in our church family as well as at home. So one thing has been on our mind though lately and it's probably something that if you're a parent you know well. And I could probably go around the room and you could guess. Guess what that one thing is probably on our minds as new parents lately? Sleep. <laughs> Finding rest. So in some ways, this message might just be more for me than you, but in reality, I think it's for all of us. Uh, but the other day, my wife ended up sending me a funny meme, if you know what that is, and, and she sent me this meme, and I'll put it on the screen for you, and it says, I don't want to sleep like a baby, I just want to sleep like my husband. <laughs> And uh, that could be very telling for our family, because uh, I have a tendency to, to be able to fall asleep uh, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the positions that I'm in. Once I'm out, I'm out. Any, any of you guys have husbands who, who played that part pretty well when you guys were, were younger? Okay, I see a few hands going up in the air. Well, I am a victim of this same thing. And uh, so my wife sent me that, and it gave me a good laugh. But I remember when we were just getting married, and our anniversary is coming up here pretty soon in November. We're going to be celebrating nine years of marriage, and uh, praise God for that. But I remember um, probably sometime around this time nine years ago, we were, we were working on our registry for our wedding. So we went to Macy's, which felt too fancy for both of us, but we went to Macy's, and you know, you go to Macy's and you try to put something on the registry, and it's like $100 for a single fork there, uh, but you, you do your best. And uh, so we were going around, and immediately we told, we told the, the person that was helping us that we wanted to be budget conscious for our guests. So naturally, what she did was she took us to the mattresses, and the first mattress that she brought us to was $10,000, and we thought to ourselves, what part of budget conscious did he not understand? So this lady starts to tell us about this mattress, and and all of the features that it has, and how comfortable it is, and she ends telling us about how great this mattress is by saying how there's a 25-year warranty on it, and my wife and I, were just kind of entertaining her, but we're looking at each other like, ah, okay, and she says this, it just might outlast your marriage. <laughs> And at that point, we said, thank you for your help. We'll, we'll, find, out, uh, we'll find the rest on our own. <laughs> but I share this story because I think it, it offers some humor, but in reality, when we think about rest, rest is a big, important piece of our life, right? They say that we spent a third of our life resting, sleeping. But yet, rest is a huge problem that we face in this country. Uh, if you didn't know, the average American only gets five hours of sleep a night. Just 8% of, of Americans find themselves 
fully rested out of a night's sleep. 8%. So that means 92% of us are not feeling very rested after a night's sleep. 27% of Americans have trouble falling asleep or, or staying asleep. And I think I have some of these stats on, on a slide that Lena could use. So Americans are struggling to find sleep. We're working more and resting even less. You see, Scripture actually has quite a a lot to say about the subject of rest. If you didn't know it, rest comes up as a common theme regularly in Scripture, and Scripture talks about it a lot. Rest is one of the first concepts that we see in the Bible, and even in Genesis chapter 2, we see rest coming up when God rested from what? from all the work of creation. It says that God rested on the what day? On the seventh day after creation. And rest ends up even being a command in Scripture that we hear out of Exodus 20, verse 8 and 10, which we'll put on the screen for you. It ends up being a command out of the Sabbath, where verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall, do no, you shall not do any work. So rest is also something that is biblical. So for today's message, I want to look at a particular passage of Scripture regarding rest and to hopefully encourage each person here, all of us today, to be able to experience what biblical rest looks like. And now maybe you're saying, Pastor, I'm retired. My kids are, are no longer in the home. I get to go to bed when I want, and I get to wake up when I want. Your message doesn't necessarily apply to me. Well, here's the thing. I think biblical rest hits on more than just the physical rest of life. And today I'm going to go deeper into what I think spiritual rest looks like, resting in the Lord looks like, because it is so much more than just sleeping. So I believe that today this message has something for everybody, and I hope that you'll track with me. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew 11, and we're going to be in verse 28. We'll be flipping around as, we, uh, as I have a tendency to do, uh, but the bulk of today's scripture will be in Matthew 11, and we're going to be in Matthew 12 as well after that. <clears throat> So Matthew 11, verse 28, and for those that don't have your Bible, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, but we do put it on the screen. It's always good to be able to know how to familiarize yourself with God's Word. So Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, that's what we'll read right now. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let me give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. Because, you see, we just finished the series, as I had mentioned earlier, about misquoting God. And hopefully one of the things that you learn from that series is what? That even though we can read Scripture, and we should read Scripture, that sometimes by only looking at a single verse of Scripture, you can miss its context right? So it's important to be able to read God's Word and and at the very least to take time to read Scriptures, but it's also important to be able to read the context that surrounds the Scriptures as well as being able to know some of the history or or what's going on. So what's going on in Matthew 11, 28? Well, Jesus is preaching in the area of Galilee, and I'll show you where that area is on, on the map here. So Galilee is kind of the northern part of Israel, and it's actually the region that Jesus is from. So right there circled, you'll see different towns, and one of the towns is Nazareth where Jesus grew up in. So Jesus is preaching in this region of Galilee. And he tells these people this this kind of famous verse of, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest or you'll find rest in me. But in reality, the context surrounding this verse is a strong rebuke. Jesus is rebuking the people. You see, Matthew 11 actually starts off with John's disciples questioning Jesus, wondering if they got it right, if Jesus really is who they thought he was. And you see, Jesus is performing these miracles in the region of Galilee, and the the lame are walking, the deaf are, are hearing. For the first time in their lives. And this radical change is going on here. But yet in the midst of all of these miracles that are going on in this area, there is this, this resistance, if you will, to the ministry of Jesus and what God is trying to do in the midst of these people. So Jesus specifically starts going after them for that very reason. He even goes as far in verse 25 to say, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and had revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what has pleased you. So he's literally saying, you know what, I'm okay with the fact that there's all of these people here who are resisting the Lord. Because ultimately, the gospel is not just for the wise or the learned, but it's for anybody who is willing to have ears to hear and eyes to see what God is doing. R.T. France, the commentary writer, says this, If they had lived up to their reputation and their responsibility should have been the first to recognize these things. What things are, are, is R.T. France trying to talk about? The things of God. The significance of Jesus' mission. Instead, it was the babes, the humble, the unlearned, the simple people who understood. 
You see, I think what Jesus is trying to get at here and what's happening in this ministry during this time is the people who were the trained religious leaders of this time are consistently rejecting Christ and the people that are starting to see Jesus for who he is are the very people that you didn't expect, the common persons. This brings me hope in some ways, because even though I am a pastor and a preacher, in reality, what I think this could tell and encourage each and every single member in the church is that you don't have to have a doctorate degree in order to understand the truth and the power of the gospel in your life, amen? That God comes for all people, but that we need to be able to have a humble heart, that we need to be able to have eyes and ears open to what God is doing. But in some ways, as much as that might encourage some of us, there is a sense of of fear that I think should naturally arise from reading this and hearing this story. What kind of fear am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that that we can be very, very trained people in God's Word. You know, some of us here have grown up in the church. Some of us here have been whispered by, our our ears have been whispered into that we will follow Christ and, and have heard Bible verses and have gone to every single church potluck and function since they were little kids. And you can have all that knowledge, but yet there can still be a disconnect from these two places, our heart and our head. So our faith, as important it is to be able to have a grounded understanding of God's Word and what He is trying to tell us through what we know, there can be a disconnect between what we know and what we actually believe. And you see, there was probably no person better trained than the religious leaders of that day. But yet, when Jesus came in that moment, did they recognize him? Not at all. And we cannot be so prideful to think that we are somehow immune to this problem. The truth is, is that there are moments of our own lives where we think we have God so figured out, or we expect God to work in such a way that in reality we could be missing what God has for us. Church family, I don't want to make this confusing. Because here's the thing, I, I think we do need to have genuine fear over this, but I don't think that we need to have the kind of fear that leads to anxiety, that where we say, well, Pastor Kevin, if, if you're saying they could get it wrong and we can get it wrong, how do we know if we can get it right? Remain humble. Did you hear that? Remain humble. Why do you think the Lord talks so often about humility, about having a humble heart, about thinking of others before yourself? 
Because I think one of the things that is required for us to be able to grow in our faith and truly come to an understanding of what God has done in our lives and what God plans to do in our lives is being able to have a posture where we say to the Lord, Lord, we invite your spirit to be able to minister to us and guide us in all areas of our lives. Do you struggle with pride? Do you struggle? Do you think you have it all figured out? If you do, take this message as a reminder, as a, a, as a, a healthy rebuke, to not let yourself get so prideful that you no longer are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is basically rebuking them, and he's going at them pretty hard. And he says in verse 27, right before verse 28, he says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal I like this verse because it is a reminder that ultimately the way that we come to know God is through who? Through the Son, through Jesus. The Greek word that's used here for know is epikonosko, and it means to know upon some mark, to recognize, to become fully acquainted with. I could put that on the screen for you there. And another oftentimes common translation for that Greek word there of know is to have an intimate knowledge of. Church, if you want to have an intimate knowledge of God the Father, you need to be able to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, with the Son. Amen? So it's in the midst of all of that, in the midst of this judgment, in in being able to say that in some ways this day is going to look bad for those that have rejected me, those that have blinder in their eyes because they're so prideful that they're not seeing the miracles and how God is moving and that, that I am the Messiah that has been promised. In the midst of all of that, Jesus all of a sudden pivots and says uh, in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why does Jesus say this? It just seems like such an odd pivot, right? To be going from rebuking them to all of a sudden saying, hey, come to me and you will find rest. I mean, isn't Jesus in this moment rejecting them? Isn't he criticizing them? What is his goal by saying this? You see, I believe that the reason why Jesus all of a sudden pivots is not because he's talking about something totally different. 
It's because in some ways this pivot highlights the heart of who Jesus is. Church, Jesus is a person who builds bridges of grace to us. Did you hear me when I said that? You see, we oftentimes get so accustomed with the criticism of this world. There's so many people in this world that have such a strong judgmental spirit. I think in some ways our society has come to full maturity of seeing the judgmentalism, right? I mean, we all feel a sense that this world has never been so divided. We've all seen a sense of, of people just using their tongue in such ways to, 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 to hurt people, to harm people. And we have to remember that even though Jesus spoke strongly against sin, even though Jesus called people out when they did things wrong, that ultimately His ministry was ultimately marked with grace, with love, with reconciliation. Amen? Are you that kind of person? When you speak to other people, what are your motivations? Are you trying to just point out problems just to be right? Or are you trying to help love them to the truth? You see, I believe that being right is not always right. Let me be careful with what I'm saying here, because I don't want you to misunderstand me. You see, I believe that I believe in what we call the concept of absolute truth. I believe that, especially through God's word, we learn for ourselves what God is calling us to. And that is an unchanging truth. It is a truth that is the same yesterday, today, as it will be tomorrow. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he was a truth teller, but he, and he was always willing to confront people where they were at, but it was always done with the goal of reconciliation and love. He understood his mission was to be a physician to the sick, and so he reached out into their context, into the context of the world that he was trying to minister to by entering into their story and offering a way for forgiveness and redemption. Yet so many of us focus on using truth as a hammer of judgment that it ironically fails to make an impact. Church, I believe that God wants us to be people that are always attempting to to build bridges of grace. And then one of the second things that I believe Jesus was trying to do in this verse and, and what we see in this pivot is he understands that the people of the area needed to hear this message. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Kevin? See, I think the Bible talks about rest often 
but I think there's kind of three common themes of how the Bible talks about rest. I think the Bible talks about physical rest. I think the second thing that the Bible talks about is it talks about emotional and mental rest, and maybe some of you would break those two apart. I'm leaving them together. And I think the Bible also talks about spiritual rest. See, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 30, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's trying to free them of the burden of life in order to find rest. So in as much as he's trying to rebuke them, he's trying to rebuke them so that they can come to a place of finding rest in him. Because it is in Jesus that you can know the Father. And it is in Jesus who provides for us true rest. The rest that allows us to let go of our stresses. The rest that encourages us to take care of ourselves. The rest that encourages us to be with our families. The rest that allows us to cling to Him in the midst of our adversity. The rest that reminds us that one day we will be in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no longer any sickness, pain, or death. But church, we have a hard habit of resting in the Lord, meaning that we have a hard time doing that. Not because we don't want it, if I were to go, go around the room and say, hey, do you want to find rest in the Lord? I know each and every single one of you would say yes, absolutely. But you see, the way that we go about our lives, we oftentimes work against being able to actually receive the rest that Jesus wants to offer us. The author of Hebrews puts it like this. He says this, or the unknown author, we don't know if, who it was, but there remains then a Sabbath rest for God's people. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from His. Listen to what verse 11 says in particular. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Church, my main point for you today, something that I want everybody to be able to take to heart, is in Jesus we find true rest. In Jesus we find true rest. We need to make every effort, as Scripture tells us, to enter into that kind of rest. Here's the thing, we have gotten into the habit of being distracted. You know, I have my, my phone down there, but I know that many of you will relate to me when I say this, have you ever left your house 
and forgot your phone and literally turned around to make sure that you had it. Even though in reality you're probably going to be okay without it, even though in reality we pretty much lived thousands of years on earth without cell phones, we have this sense, if you will, that it needs to be attached to us. Or in every moment where there is dead space, we maybe look at our phones and go on social media. Maybe we turn on the radio and listen to a talk show or music. We have this habit where we fill the majority of our day with something to distract us. I mean, even when we clean, right? Many of us do what? We turn on the TV and just listen to something while we clean. And look, I'm not saying that that is bad per se, but oftentimes what ends up happening or the reason why we do this is because we often do not like to be left alone with our own thoughts, right? And instead of using the opportunities in our day where we have this moment where we can pray, where we can talk to the Lord, where we can think through some of our own behaviors or, 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 or just do business with God, we distract ourselves because we don't want to think about our stress from work, our stress from our families, or the fact that we are tired. See, the people of Jesus' day, they had a similar kind of distraction. They had a similar kind of unrest that would have kept them in some ways tangled up with distraction. You see, we think this is a new problem, but in reality, we're always whether cell phones existed or not, whether television existed or not, we're always trying to distract ourselves. It's just gotten a lot easier. And how do I know this? Because right after these verses in Matthew 11, Matthew 12 shows a story that I think continues to hit home at this issue of rest. I'm going to read these verses to you and then explain it. Matthew 12, 1 says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate that consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrated the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if you read all of chapter 12, he goes into another dialogue about the Sabbath where he talks about, well, wouldn't you save an animal, if you lost one of your sheep and your flock, wouldn't you save them 
if you found that sheep in the well, even if it was the Sabbath, wouldn't you do everything in your power to rescue that little animal? Well, how much more is valuable as a human life? So what is Jesus trying to do in this moment? He's trying to confront cultural understandings of the Sabbath that are dead wrong. If you didn't know this, the underpinning of why this burden existed with the Sabbath came strictly because of legalism. You see, Oftentimes, we will read a passage in Scripture, maybe it's uh, one of the Ten Commandments, for instance, like Sabbath, and instead of applying it in such a way where our lives get better, what ends up happening? We feel even more burdened. You see, this is exactly what happened to the Jewish people of Jesus' day. You see, Jesus was not committing any law, or he was not breaking any law, but in reality, he was doing the work of the Father. But because the people of his day got so legalistic with how they interpreted the law, everything became a burden in life. Chuck Swindoll says that God presents the Sabbath rest as this shelter we can enter. And you see, the people of his day were, were, pre, were presenting the Sabbath rest more as a burden that they had to deal with. You see, they believed that if they followed God's law perfectly, then that would somehow usher in God's favor again to the people. And that by doing that, God would bless them again as a nation. So what did they do? They started trying to define what it meant to work. And then from what it meant to work, they asked, well, what is considered work? And then from what is considered work, they started to ask, well, what does it mean to carry a burden? But and then after that, they would ask, well, what really is a burden? And it went on and on and on. So literally, they came out with a whole entire commentary on how to define the Sabbath, and here's just a snippet of what they believed it meant to follow the Sabbath, and we'll put it on the screen. So this was their interpretation of the Sabbath. Food equal in weight to a dry fig. So you can't lift up food equal in weight to a dry fig. Anybody know what a dry fig weighs? Enough wine for mixing in a goblet, milk enough for one swallow, honey enough to put upon a wound, oil enough to anoint the small member, water enough to moisten an eye salve, paper enough to write a customs house notice upon it, ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet, (laughs) read enough to make a pen. This is literally in their interpretation of what a burden looks like. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like this is more of a burden. Church, this is what the spirit of legalism looks like. And we laugh at this, we look at this, and we see how ridiculous it is, 
But the truth is, is we do it today. We do it today. We've grown up in churches and all have all so, sorts of funny rules. You know, I'm not going to try to knock my heritage, but I come, my, a lot of my family members come from Assemblies of God, and when my mom grew up, you know, boys sat on one side, girls sat on the other, girls weren't allowed to wear pants, and they had to only wear long skirts, and, you know, God forbid all the other details that come with it, right? No jewelry, no makeup, you have to keep your hair long. Legalism. Burdens. This is the culture that the people would have grown up in. So when Jesus is looking back to them and he says to them, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, it starts to make a little bit more sense now, right? Because the truth is, is that the people of that day would have been so tired of living in a world where it feels like you have to calculate every single move in order to get it right. And here Jesus is telling them, if you come to me, all you who are heavy and burdened, you will find rest for my yoke is light, and it's easy. Church, if you, I don't know where you're at, but if I were to guess, there are certain things that each of you are holding on to. There are things in your life that have made you feel burdened, that have made you feel heavy. Maybe it's a particular struggle you have. Maybe it's an outlook that you have on the world, a sense of a doom and gloom. Maybe it's just something that you feel like you can't get right. And because of that, when you live your life, you live with stress, anxiety. It doesn't matter how many hours of sleep you put behind you, you wake up restless. You go to bed at night and all those thoughts come back in your mind. And as day by day goes by, you're restless. I believe the Lord wants you to find rest in Him. Amen? In Jesus, we can find rest. And the easiest way that we can do that is to simply take God's word for what God's word says. And when I read it, it just says, come to me. So what does that mean? That means you just go to Jesus. So I want you to visualize those burdens in life this week as they come. And maybe you're visualizing them right now. And I want you to be able to take the time to just come to Jesus. Because I promise you that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But you need to be able to do that with a humble heart, recognizing that he is Lord. Amen? Let's pray.